I'm Benjamin Perrin. In this podcast, I'll take you behind the scenes of my new book, Indictment, The Criminal Justice System on Trial. You'll hear from people who are imprisoned, survivors of violent crime, whistleblowers, insiders, and investigators. You be the judge. Join us as we expose injustice, challenge the system, and explore a new transformative justice vision. I'm Benjamin Perrin, and this is Indictment. Do all survivors of violent crime simply want the criminal justice system to lock up their perpetrators and throw away the key? That's certainly the message we hear from the media and certain politicians at times, but it's not what you're going to hear today. Sky, that's not their real name, it's a pseudonym we're using to protect their privacy, is going to share about experiencing years of violence and abuse, about what happened when they went to the police for help, and how the court system treated them afterwards. But through it all, Sky's remarkable vision for a new and different approach to transform the trauma that not just she had experienced, but that the person who had harmed her had experienced as well, shines through. So a content note. Today's episode includes a discussion of physical and sexual violence, childhood abuse, and the secondary harms and wrongs done by members of the criminal justice system. I'm 32 years old. Um, I am non-binary. I'm in school, so I'm studying psychology. I work at a health food store. I like to volunteer. I like to do yoga. I like to eat healthy food, but I also like to eat a lot of junk food. I'm generally a very happy person, so you'll you'll hear me laughing a lot. <laughs> As you know, we're talking to people about their experiences with the criminal justice system. Could you share with me what your experience was like? So um, I had um, been in a very abusive domestic relationship. I was being beaten and raped almost daily um, for five years. <laughs> Researchers cite many reasons why survivors of intimate partner violence may be unable to leave, ranging from the coercive control exercised by their abusive partner, to threatened or actual physical, sexual, or emotional violence, a lack of financial resources, blaming themselves for their partner's behavior, the fear of repercussions of reporting, and the stigma or shame of leaving. Many also cite love for the abusive partner as a reason for staying, even though this could even be related to traumatic bonding, something similar to Stockholm Syndrome in the context of hostage takings. Something that describes the emotional attachment that could develop through a powerful combination of power imbalance and intermittent abuse, even replicating toxic patterns that they experienced during childhood victimization. This jury is screaming. They're screaming on behalf of all of us in this province, in this country, and around the world. When they say intimate partner violence is an epidemic and we must name it as such. The jury heard that systems meant to protect survivors consistently failed them. I don't think there's a general knowledge understanding as to how significant this issue is at all, at all. 
I, I think historically it's always been often seen as a private issue at home and that's got to change. The, the neighbors kept calling the police on that. And I guess eventually, eventually I had nowhere else to go, but that that had become intolerable for me. So I, I finally did decide to file a police report. I, I unfortunately had to still live with the person because I had nowhere else to go. And he was allowed to sit outside the counselor's room at the courtroom and kind of intimidate me before I went in. So they would make you go to a counselor before you got to the courtroom to like, I, I don't know what the purpose was. To me, it seemed like there was no good purpose to it. So she would she would basically bring up everything that was really terrible that was going on and, until I was like crying and, you know, and then she'd be like, oh, you don't look like you're ready. We're going to postpone it. The counselor brought up everything that was terrible in my life and then told me I was not ready to uh, to, to go on the stand and, and speak at the trial. So she kept uh, insisting on post... She, I didn't even get the option to say yes, I want to or not. So they, they just kept postponing it. And the counselor there was quite rude. There was one occasion where she asked me if She's like, why don't you leave him? What are you, stupid? Sky couldn't believe what they just heard. Wasn't this person supposed to be helping them? After all, this was a counselor with the Crime Victim Assistance Center at the courthouse. But it wasn't the first time or the last that Sky would feel mistreated and humiliated by the criminal justice system. So they kept postponing, and the court decided to send us to a psychologist together since we were still living together. And the psychologist was not great either. It was a man. And he told me to try not to make him so mad. <laughs> and uh, when he said that, I promptly stood up and walked out, which was apparently evidence of my own unwillingness to cooperate. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I walked out of there and... They just kept postponing it. And then one day I never heard from them again. I decided at that point that being beaten and raped was easier and felt better than being treated like shit by the people who were... Sorry for swearing. But you can it, swear. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like it necessitates swearing. Like that was better than being treated like shit by the people who were supposed to be helping. In what world am I going to go to... Uh, uh, a women's shelter if this is the kind of help you get like if people talk to you like this and treat you like this obviously I'm gonna stay there <laughs> I, I felt like I felt like less than nothing like I had been abused since childhood like my mom was incredibly abusive like I can't like I can't even explain how abusive she was she was that bad and I, like that was just it felt like that was it for me like, it, you know, like it felt like there was no going up from there. It felt like there was nobody in the world who would help me because nobody ever had. And when I did go for help, I was treated so badly that the, the world had become that for me. It was it was just 
devastating. It was, it was awful. I was too upset to like really process what was happening at that point. There was one occasion, and I'd like to mention this, one of the times that the neighbors called called the police, there was one officer who treated me very well. He almost begged me. He's like, if you don't tell me what's going on, I cannot help you. And I really want to help you. And I can tell something's happening, but I don't know what, and I can't assume. And on that occasion, I wouldn't let him come in because that would have been worse for me, I felt. But I still remember that to this day. Like, he was so adamant to try to help me and like he really you could tell he really cared but other than that I would say mostly my experience with the police in these situations where that they were nonchalant and like didn't they were just kind of there or like they would kind of like name call like not me they would say like bad things about my boyfriend at the time but like it wasn't productive you know what I mean like just like insulting people and calling them like I don't remember what they said but like for the most part they just didn't seem to very care that much What would have helped, do you think, at that point in time when, um, you know, neighbors were calling or when you filed your police report? What, what did you need from, from the system at that point? What would have helped? I needed to be assured that there was some safe place to go or there, there was some way to get better. Or if, if one person had maybe brought up the website of a women's shelter and you know what? And like, they were nice to me and were like, you want know the people here are really nice. I know them and this is kind of what goes on here. Like. I don't, I actually don't know that much about women's shelters, so I'm just like making this up. But if they had said like, um, there's rooms here and you can, you can stay there for a while and then they help you learn how to take care of yourself, learn how to get a job, learn how to stand up for yourself better and take care of yourself better. And you know what I mean? Like if, yeah. if it showed me like the reality of what could be, then I wouldn't have, I would have had an option, I think. The reality is the majority of victims do not go to police or and do not go to formal supports. They go to their friends and family and colleague. And so that means it's it's all of us need to better understand um, violence and what we can do about it and be positive supporters for people who are experiencing it. Believe them, love them, support them and get them the supports and services they need and also get the supports and services you need to be a good supporter. I think also... I it would have made me a lot happier if my boyfriend had gotten whether or not he used it it would have made me a lot happier if he'd gotten constructive help that would have meant support better support as a child it would have meant having more resources at school for him so that he could do better in school or emotional help i know his mom was abusive so he, he abuse is like a thing that it's learned, right? So it's passed down. And I think that in general, if we take the time to be careful and show show love rather than punishment, then it'll work a lot better. Punishment doesn't work. Revenge doesn't work. They serve to um, look like they're doing something, but the result is that it creates more violence, it creates more anger, and it doesn't resolve any issues about what the victim or survivor has gone through. There's no emphasis on that. It's allowing our government to carry out revenge on our behalf. It usurps our role as victim 
and it's just not useful. It's not useful at all. I like completely lost faith in the world. I thought the world was a totally just awful, awful, terrible place. I thought I would never get help for anything. I thought that my life was over. I thought there was no no chance of me ever getting out of there. I thought if I ever did try to ask for help again, or if I told anybody, I would be treated even worse again. It prevented me from taking care of myself. It prevented me from treating my PTSD. It prevented me from working. It prevented me from being able to go to the people that were supposed to help me, including like doctors and stuff like that. Part of my trauma is with doctors. So like that compounded my trauma of going to the people who were supposed to be helping me. So like I was too disabled to work because of all of this. I have other disabilities on top of it, but like because of this, I was too disabled to work and not able to go on social assistance or anything like this because I was not able to get the help that I needed. So I very much suffered for a very long time because of this. What would you say, if you could, to um, the police officers, not the, the helpful one there, but the many other ones that, that came to your place while the abuse was happening, if you could, if they were here right now? I understand that they're tired and I understand that they have extremely difficult jobs with horrendous schedules and they often get mistreated by the public and offenders and, you know, whoever. Um, but I I hope that... Whoever takes on a role that is meant to protect others or care for others in any way to just kind of wake up each morning and think about that um, before you go out. Because yes, you will experience bad things when you go outside, but we're also counting on you to, to fill that role that you chose to fill. And if you could show compassion and caring, I think you will get out of the experience more of what you want to see because I know I know they want things to get better too but it's frustrating to see this over and over again and nothing ever happens and you can help victims by acting in this way and then that little thing at the beginning of the criminal justice system at the very beginning of that path that can make the difference between them following through and getting the help and not doing it because I'm, I'm sure they're very frustrated by having to go to the same houses over and over and over and over again, right? Yeah, what would you say to the, the counselor and the psychologist? What would you say to them? You're unfit for work. <laughs> you need to retire. You need to go work at McDonald's or something. This is not a job for you. <laughs> That's what I would say. Oh my goodness. I'm... I'm I, like, I don't really harbor resentment over this. I study psychology and I kind of understand why people act like this. But you have no right <laughs> being in that position and treating people like that. You have no right to do that. And shame on you. <laughs> What's been helpful for you? You've just got such a remarkable lightness to how you're talking about this. Now I can tell you've done some healing. There was a point in my life where I like couldn't handle life anymore. And I have ADHD as well. So like, I was like, okay, like I, I need to like 
figure something out, right? <laughs> so I never actually like treated my ADHD. I was diagnosed as a child. And anyway, like long story short, I like begged a stranger for help. So somebody who's an ADHD coach, um, I told her I couldn't afford help. My life was just in ruins. I didn't know what was going on. And I just cried and cried in her office. And she she found somebody who helped me, who stuck with me for years, who helped me for three hours at least a week. Since I was 27, she's still helping me and never asked me for anything in return. And she could be charging over $200 an hour. She just, no matter how much I struggled or like, I'm sure it was frustrating sometimes, but she just stayed with it. She, she just never, she never abandoned me and she never let it go. And because of that, I'm okay. I'm incredibly lucky. And I, that's one of the reasons why I'm here talking to you right now. I understand that like, I'm okay, but most people who have been through what I'm, I've been through are very much not okay or they're dead. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've severe, <laughs> severe ADHD. So that made it even harder to like get out of it, right? I, I'm sure you can imagine. But she like taught me everything I needed to do to um, get a job and, and schedule. And now I'm in school and I got 100% on my last two psychology assignments. I mean, I'm killing it now. It's It's crazy. I strongly believe that a lot of people who are in prison have very serious mental illnesses that could be just handled better. I know in my province, we don't have access to free psychologists. I'm getting three quarters of a psychologist paid for by victim services, but I don't really get to choose who's my psychologist. And I haven't started yet, but Again, like I don't get to choose who's caring for me. And based on my experience, I, I don't have a lot of <laughs> faith in that. I'm, I'm going to see what happens and I'm going to go anyway and I'm going to hope for the best. And I, and I had to like fight tooth and nail for that. I had to go through a humiliating process to get that help. It's not even paying for the whole thing. And I had to prove years after the fact that this happened. And I had to explain why. I didn't ask for the help in the first place. <laughs> that I had to, I had to. They they made me do that and that it was humiliating. But I shouldn't even have to ask. I yeah. feel like <laughs> We need to have more programs that are community related that are restorative justice and transformative justice based. Our criminal justice system is supposedly restorative justice-based, but it's not. It's just not. And we need to find a way to introduce these programs to the public so that they can understand how they work, so that they can get a better impression of them. Well, I certainly don't like the idea of prison at all. In an ideal world, it wouldn't exist, but I don't think it's feasible to just remove them. However, there is room for like drastic improvements. There are, there are many countries that are doing it really well and they have very low rates of recidivism. They actually rehabilitate their prisoners and they treat them with respect and give them responsibility and they encourage learning. I was watching like a prison documentary. There are some prisons where like they're even like in the kitchen cooking like really sharp knives and like they've got their own rooms and their rooms are nice and they have computers and like they're able to go on being like people. And this kind of removal, this resocialization that happens when you're in prison, it wipes away your previous identity and then you have a new identity. And then you get out of prison and then you have to make another identity. And without 
very much help at all and you're abused while you're in prison and besides the obvious abuse and stuff there's little things that add up these little comforts we take for granted these things actually matter for your happiness and your happiness matters for how you behave so we we need to develop a better system that doesn't screw people up so much we need to make more programs that de-escalate this kind of hatred towards offenders because it's just very misplaced and it's not helpful i feel like we also need to like screen people who are going to be in these jobs where they're taking on helping victims <laughs> like maybe some kind of psychological screening or i don't know what but just to make sure the wrong people aren't getting in these positions because that, that's i it's hard it's hard for me like i went through it and it's hard for me to even imagine that happened <laughs> That was so much worse than being beaten and raped. It, it, it was like unfathomable. And we need to prevent people like that from getting in these positions. What would you want people to know about the criminal justice system based on your experience? I want people to know that this didn't just happen to me. I know for a fact because I've since attended court with other people by my sister-in-law, um, went through the same thing where I saw her offender sitting in that same room, staring at her, intimidating her before she went in to a counselor who did the exact same thing to her and then dismissed me when I was trying to make sure that she would actually go to court. She was extremely dismissive and rude to me in front of my sister-in-law and my she never got over it. She couldn't handle the fact that her offender pleaded not guilty, just as mine did. She couldn't handle the fact that she went to court and nobody did anything about it. And she committed suicide um, not long ago. And um, this isn't just me. And women have been treated horribly by our criminal justice system. And offenders have been treated horribly by our criminal justice system. And we're all just humans. And we need to work together to solve this issue rather than make it an us versus them thing. And we need to stop letting a government who is unwilling to take care of us to take our roles. Just to give you a kind of idea with my sister-in-law, this happened maybe a year ago for her. This is a bona fide systemic issue. <laughs> there needs to be more of a role for victim. I think they need to be presented with more options of what can be done Basically, I went in and I was told like, oh, you're not ready to testify. But like even just that alone, like testifying and then him being sent to prison, this is not so great either. Right. So what else is there? Could he go to a healing lodge? Like he's not indigenous, but like, I don't know. We need to be presented with more options and have a more active role as survivors of abuse or victims of any crime. You need to have a role that helps you understand that the problem is getting better or at least an effort is being made to make it better. And there needs to be more of a role that is conducive to healing in both parties so that people can feel better and this won't happen again.
Canada's criminal justice system is based on an adversarial common law model, where wrongs are considered to be crimes against the state. Victims, largely unseen and unheard. Criminal wrongdoing is overwhelmingly committed against victims and should be thought of as such. When I interviewed victims of crime for indictment, they frequently described in graphic detail the harm they experienced, horrific incidents of violence, recurring nightmares. Some had to change their names and move far away from their abusers. Others tried to commit suicide, lost their jobs, and were unable to perform even the most basic daily tasks like briefly getting out of bed to take out the garbage. If there is to be any way forward in redressing these wrongs, we have to first understand them for what they have always been, wrongs against the victims themselves. A new transformative justice vision doesn't just see the world as judges, lawyers, and accused persons. It puts victims and survivors of crime right at the heart. It focuses on the trauma that they experienced, as well as transforming the trauma of the person who harmed them. It means involving them when and if they're able in restorative justice measures where they are active participants, not only in sharing how they were affected, but also to be able to come up with reasonable and appropriate measures that can help to resolve and move things forward. Survivors of crime talk about experiencing much greater levels of satisfaction through restorative justice programs. These also have much lower rates of reoffending by people who cause harm, and they cost less. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to subscribe to get the latest episodes as they go live. And remember to rate and review us. To find out more, get a copy of my latest book, Indictment, The Criminal Justice System on Trial, by Benjamin Perrin, published by the University of Toronto Press. All author royalties are directly donated to nonprofit organizations that support people who've been incarcerated and survivors of violent crime. Indictment was recorded on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territories of the Musqueam people. To protect their privacy, the names of people with lived experience have been changed. This podcast is obviously not intended to provide legal, medical, or therapeutic advice. If you're in need of help with any of these things, please consult a professional for assistance. The topics we cover can be upsetting and triggering. If you need support, please check out the show notes for resources. Funding and support for indictment was provided by the Law Foundation of British Columbia and the University of British Columbia. Indictment is produced by me, Benjamin Perrin and Dora Duber. Keep listening and stay safe. See you next time.